0: This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant
1: Spotify. Conditions apply.
2: Here's a quick public service announcement to the few of you who hate the intro to this podcast. I'm sorry, but it's not going anywhere. Roll that beautiful theme music. welcome to chapter tactics your 40k podcast that focuses on playing warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game i am your host mr pd pob and with me i have three non-co-hosts three international well nick is exotic enough to be international members of the community here to talk about etc through yawns and half snaps I've got Mr. Scary all the way from Canada land.
1: Howdy, maple syrup and mooses.
3: Ahoy.
2: Uh, we've got professional 4X drinker, Adam Calamari.
3: <laughs> How's it going, guys? Uh, kangaroos and boganism, I think was the, the stats tag.
2: Uh, and then, of course, Mr. Nick, the brown red coat. Not a body.
3: What's up,
0: ladies? How you all doing tonight?
2: All right. This episode was brought to you by the brand new Frontline Gaming Network, Frontline Gaming, and of course the amazing patrons over on our Patreon. Today we are going to be talking ETC, and I'm also going to get these three fabulous players to talk a little bit about some of the hot topics in 40k today. Figured since I've got them all on, I can pick their brains about the new Space Marines, the September FAQ, what they expect, the meta, and so much more. Should be a really good, jam-packed episode. Before we go on... Don't forget to go over to patreon.com and support the podcast, patreon.com slash chapter tactics. We give away something every month. This way, one of the lucky patrons is going to get a assembled character model from painted by me and assembled by me, uh, or Nick Navadi is assembling Terminators, a of Cult Terminators right now. So maybe I can commission one through the brown magic yeah. and get it done for you, uh, marshmallow style. If you
0: want one of the, the most glorious Terminators to ever walk a six by four table in my basement, this is where you find them.
2: Do 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 they come a bit stock body, marshmallow shaped heads and nah, no marshmallows rockies? here.
0: We're working with one hundred percent plastic from I'm not really sure. I'm gonna guess Europe, but that's probably
3: wrong. What's the deal with the marshmallow?
0: Oh, you haven't heard about the brownstones?
2: Oh my gosh. Uh, Nick, I will let you tell this story. It's a good story.
0: Way back in the day, the wonderful times that was 7th edition, when 40k power creep was out the window, and everything involving balance had a two-upper-evolvable invul. Games Workshop created this wonderful rule called split, where basically you had these horrors, and when they died, they became other horrors. Kind of like right now, when you kill a pink, it becomes a blue, becomes a brim, except it was free. So... And also summoning was free. So I summoned all these pink horrors, and I split them into blue horrors, and then I split them into brim horrors. But I didn't have any brim horrors, because the only way to get a brim horror was, uh, at the time, to buy Silver a Tower. Silver Tower, which is like a, a $90 order. board game, which has two brimstone horrors and it as like pieces yeah. in the board game. So I needed about 100 of these guys. So instead of buying 50 copies of Silver Tower, I decided to bake my own brimstones out of clay. <laughs> and... I did. I carved little faces and made these little things of fire and I carved little faces into them to give them some character baked them, primed them painted them, looked great and then everyone thought they were cereal and made fun of me
2: <laughs> They looked like Coco Puffs <laughs> That's amazing guys. Not Cocoa I, Puffs. <laughs> Look up The brown Count Chocula meme <laughs> cereal box was great yeah. Yeah, they, <laughs> looked, they looked <laughs> like, <laughs> they like Lucky Chimes. Oh, I remember the cereal like, box
3: Lucky charms. I remember the freaking cereal yeah. box I've only got one thing to say to you.
0: They weren't cereal. They were
3: clay. I put time in those. I've only got one thing to say about that, Nick. Show me a squid. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I'm going to make so many Australians happy with
0: that
1: one. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what goes into a professional 40k gamer's repertoire of things to do.
2: Yes, absolutely. your (laughs) own controversial proxies. I know I've got my fair share of controversial proxies, but... That was a dark time for 40k. It, it was, was. That was back when Silver Death Dryad Heads were Brimstone horrors. Oh yeah, how uh, was and, that passable? The mine. Oh, no, it, mine, wasn't, it mine was were more
1: work than those. I'll tell you. Hey, that. well, at least those were GW product. Okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it was rough. Anyways, moving on to a new edition. There's so many competitive 40k podcasts going on right now in Eighth Edition. I'm loving it. I don't know about you guys, um, but content right now for 40k is at an absolute best even in 7th edition when I thought it was ramping up and I thought there were a lot. Now it's like there's a new competitive 40k podcast that comes up like every day. Yeah. right. You know?
1: I think there was a new one today that popped up. Yeah, nice. I mean,
2: you know, they, they come in varying audio quality and commentary quality. Um, <laughs> usually bad. Um <laughs> Uh, obviously, joking. Uh, Nick, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about the one that just came out today?
0: Yeah, so I uh, I've recently started my own podcast called Art of War Forty K. I'm starting it with my my buddy, an actual client, at Night's of the Game table pro, John Damaris. Um, and what we're, we're doing is we're trying to get top players in. What is that thumping?
3: That is a keyboard. It's a very loud keyboard. Night, I will cease by infernal racket. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he's, he's on Facebook, anyways, guys. Okay. Uh,
0: um. So, the premise of the podcast is basically that we bring in uh, top players like this? This past. Uh, our pilot episode, we brought Frankie G and Papa, and we had him talk about his uh, Gene Stealer cult army with all the, the dub bikes. He's got like 45 bikes in there. Uh, next week, we're going to bring in Jim Vessel and talk about his army. Uh, and we don't just talk about the army at a cursory level, like how it's doing at events and whatnot. We go deep. Um, so we want to know the strategy behind the unit choices, how they deploy in various matchups, uh, what they look, look out for in their opponents' list, what psychic powers they take, what tricks and tactics they use to win their games. Basically, I want to give you the whole spiel on how these armies work from the mouth of the creator himself. Um, so it's an interview style, but it's also very conversational between me, John, and the guest. And um, we, just, we just go at it for two hours. The podcast is broken up into two episodes, part one and part two. So part one is the, the macro side to it, the overall strategic standpoint, like how do you approach your games? What's your philosophy behind the list? Part two, um, which is up for our patrons is uh the micro side so the tactics the nitty-gritty the knights and bolts what psychic powers you take in specific situations what relics um how do, do you go for move blocking do you go for wrapping which tactics do you try to employ to win the game all that kind of stuff so it's called art of war 40k you can check us out on, on facebook it's aow40k our patreon is aow40k just check it out Give it a listen. We're on YouTube. We're on the Frontline Gaming Network, just like this Chapter Topics episode. Uh, if you like it, let us know. Like us on Facebook, all that jazz. And if you have any... We're new at this, so if you have any comments or criticisms, critiques, anything, we are very much open to criticism. So please let us know what's up.
2: Right on. And of course, not only do we have new podcasts coming up, but we also have content creators going full-time. Now, I know, Scary, you didn't go full-time recently however you're coming up on this is coming up on your second year going full-time first year first oh this is still your first year okay got Mm -hmm. it so this is the first year coming up at the beginning of the year right am i right yeah (laughs) yes there you go um
1: -hmm. yes it is yeah (laughs) i uh, said about october october last year i i took the the deep plunge that's what it was
2: i remember around new year's is when i found out but how is your first year of going full time as a content producer going?
1: It has been very rewarding. I feel like I've learned a lot more about myself personally in terms of like uh, you know creating content and kind of being a part of the community at whole and kind of helping drive this whole like um, this beautiful thing we call a hobby and uh, and I've met so many like great like I've had so many opportunities to meet people and and kind of broaden my perspective on the hobby and like what it really means. And it's just a lot more than just rolling dice and playing games. And I think being able to kind of be on the inside of that and and be at the forefront of, you know, streaming on Twitch and doing content on YouTube or, you know, doing tactics and, you know, and, and helping people with lists and whatnot. Like there's so much more to it than just, you know, going to events. It's 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 really cool to kind of be involved in all the different aspects of, of the hobby in general from painting to list crafting, to applying it on, on the tabletop to just creating a global community of, of people from all the way from Australia to, you know, Scotland to England to, you know um, like everywhere. It's been, it's been really, really, really fun.
2: Right on. Uh, and then if you can, if you want, you can check out Scardcast on Patreon, that's a great way to get started following Scarry. Why? Well, well, thank you, Pablo. <laughs> Appreciate it. You know. And then finally, we got all these competing apps <sighs> coming out, and all these new stats, statisticians, people from down under coming out from the seeds, or the underbellies of the world, <laughs> I should say. Uh, I'm, of course, talking about Mister Adam and what he does at the Down Under Network, and everything new and Diffie So yeah, well I guess this
3: is is this the shill this is the shill plug segment, isn't it? It's
2: like- this this is the I decided to put it up front because I was just I was so happy with the way the community was growing from a professional level and from a legitimate level and um, I wanted to throw it at the front just just kind of like just something i always do at the beginning of every episode but that's cool uh, so plug uh, for those of you who don't know me
3: i'm yeah i'm adam camilleri i'm one half of down under network and down under pairings and um, i work alongside my partner josh diffie who is the the creator of down under pairings It's just, it's an alternative pairings and, and tournament running uh, program feel free to look that up if you want but i'm more focused on the the down Under network side of things which is our content and streaming service, so we are, we've we got our next stream coming up is EastCon, which is a pretty, well, really long-running and well-renowned tournament, which I think is around 80 players this year. It's going to be uh, this coming weekend, in fact, is on the is it 24th and 25th, is Saturday and Sunday this weekend. No, yes, it is. Yeah, twenty fourth and twenty fifth, and we'll be streaming um, the all the games from there, all top table games. Most of the the biggest players in forty k in, in Australia will be in attendance. I know all the ones from my home state in Victoria, and yeah, you could get some great content. Tune in. That's um, Down Under underscore Network on Twitch. Uh, we have a Patreon, just like everyone else does, because we need to keep the lights on. Um, one of the things about us, uh, and what I suppose differentiate me from these two fine gentlemen is um we're pretty much a non-profit we're not looking to make any money out of this we just don't want to go broke doing it so if you'd like to support us uh jump onto our patreon look us up love to have you
2: right on right on so you know in this in this era of uh 40k professionalism i just want i guess i'll just call it that for now um We got a new stream that happened this past weekend, the Capital City Bloodbath stream. Um, And I felt like uh, Wargamer Rob and Honest Wargamers really stepped it up with Val and Peter uh, coming up big with the coverage and the shoutcasting. Now, the three of you are no strangers to 40k tournaments and and not only the limelight, but also uh, behind the scenes being... Uh, not only content producers but also shoutcasters in some form talking about tournaments and um, just experiencing the whole streaming scene in general uh what are what do you think is the next big step forward And any one of you can take this um in terms of streaming and legitimizing competitive 40k that maybe people haven't caught on to
3: yet or maybe that you'd like to see a little bit more of so i um i don't know if i'm best to handle this thing is I try and well my, my my organization tries to stream a minimum of one GT or major event per month so it's kind of it's kind of my job to to shoutcast but um my goal from the start when I looked at what everyone else was doing and this was about a year ago and tried to see what we could do to differentiate ourselves was to be able to stream multiple tables um, and that was to be able to have coverage of two to between two and five tables running at the same time and then being able to switch between them one thing of, uh, that is a bit of a, a downside of coverage of um 40k games is that they can get quite monotonous can get quite boring i know a few of the, the top table from cancon this year um, was horde carpet gaunts versus horde carpet plague bearers and it was an absolute cluster f so we, we actually had to, we knowingly brought in, I think you were on that stream, Pablo, as well as... Um, yeah, it was. <laughs> we, we brought in a bunch of people from outside in order to jazz that up to make it um, more engaging, to make it more interesting. But if we had have had, you know, the top three tables uh, mic'd up, cameraed up, we could have sw- switched between them. And not only would that make the top table more interesting to watch because you wouldn't have to be watching it for three hours straight from the round, um, it would also give you coverage of the things that were, you know, the things that were progressing below that table. Absolutely. So, I'd just like to toss my two cents in here
0: also. I completely agree with Adam. I think the next step with 40K is streaming multiple type tables. Um, as you saw uh, at ATC, I guess was the first time we got real professionalism in the streaming hobby instead of just our streaming aspect as opposed to just people who do it for the love of the sport. Um, we had Pro Tabletop, which is an esports company, get involved, and their stream blew everything we've ever seen out of the water. They streamed five tables at once successfully. It was easy to follow. They had shoutcasters in the form of the long war guys. It was really successful. But I think that's really just the next step out of a very mm-hmm. long marathon we need Agreed. to run um, from a long-term perspective. And I think the way 40K needs to go and evolve as a as a professional sport, we'll call it, um, I think we need to see the game transition from a singles game to a team game. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're already seeing team formats prosper atc etc other events just like that um and they dr- definitely drum up the most excitement like the, the crowd leading up to atc and the crowd leading up for atc internationally it's out of this world people center their entire years around that stuff um you just get a lot more reward out of playing with your friends and playing for something bigger than yourself mm-hmm. it's also a lot easier from a salesmanship perspective to sell to an audience because uh, teams are much more interesting than singles players and I think it's easier to stream five tables at once. Or not easier, but it's it makes more sense to stream five tables at once when they're all on a team than there's five individual tables. So, long term, I would love to see forty k evolve to a team sport, basically. Um,
3: I've I've got a question for this esteemed panel, if I'm allowed, Pablo. <laughs> oh so, yeah, go. Ahead. So um, I had this discussion. Uh, what is the pinnacle of forty k? Is it things like the LVO, the Super Majors, the crazy, insane thousand people events, single events? Or is it the ATC, where it's country versus country? What is the pinnacle? What is the top? So, so um, I want to let Scary answer the first question first, and then I want to give
2: Scary the at-bat for that question. Sure. Um, and then uh, Nick can follow up, and then I kind of want to top everything all off with my own personal opinion. But go ahead and take it away, Scary.
1: Perfect. So I'll keep it short and simple. I feel like... Um streaming in and of itself first i agree with nick i think that it's a lot easier to get behind a team sport um rather than just individual players uh because then you can really root for like a group of people that kind of go out and play games and you can get a much bigger events with a lot more um kind of stake in them uh you know think of atc you know it's it's only there's 80 some teams of five people in each team like it gets it's crazy big and it does make it a lot easier to stream multiple tables at once it's also easier to kind of get behind like a team name and you can kind of switch the players in and out and just have like different teams like uh kind of root root and root for them and have like you know their swag and their banners and their colors and all that good stuff and to answer the second question i do feel that etc style events like a country versus country would probably the best way and the pinnacle of getting it started but it would have to transition into more of a global sort of team tournament even though it is right now it is called the etc the european team championship where i feel like you know like a world team championship that's hosted all around the world with uh, you know sponsors from each country sponsoring the country's teams to go anywhere in the world to compete you know that's like that's like the dream
0: yeah, so I pretty much want to second Scari's, uh assessment. Basically, you have two different types of tournaments as it currently sits. Um, we have, like, the LVOs of the world, where it's just a singles event, the largest one you have, the most competitive one that probably exists at the moment. Um, and then you have ETC, which is by far the most competitive team tournament, and it's, like, you are representing your country. This is very akin to, like... Is the Olympics the pinnacle of your sport or is just winning the Super Bowl the pinnacle of your sport? I mean, football's not in uh, the Olympics, but you get my point. Um, So I don't know that there's necessarily a right answer. I think it's more preference, like which one are you more personally invested in seeing? Are you really interested in the annual LVO or maybe the semi-annual ETC Olympics or whatever? Um, But if 40K grows and becomes a team sport, the the ETC's already – Um, it's already that's what it is whereas LVA would have to then adapt to becoming a team sport
2: right yeah um that's actually a really good question adam um i I can't comment to specifics because i do have my own personal biases um but staying as neutral as possible i think the absolute pinnacle of 40k or 40k event streaming is a tournament that everyone follows that gives us memeable moments Mm. um that's relevant to not only uh competitive players but also casual players in some sense um and it's something that that's well covered and that everyone wants so i'm thinking like like a a world championship something similar something like what magic does where magic has these teams that show up and they have like these these global teams i don't know if they still do the world i don't think they do worlds anymore like this uh but you had teams were for representing every country like normal uh, you'd have these team tournaments and then you'd also have singles events where all the players would compete against each other in general. And then you also had various other formats and events where at the end of it, it was kind of an Olympic style where you counted up the number of golds, quote unquote, uh, and at the end you had like a true, like this team actually dominated in this format, which ETC doesn't have because the singles event isn't as as glorified as the t- team tournament. And I think it's kind of always been that way. And it's also hard. Right, because you you have to bring people like you might have to bring people who are single single list specialists or single tournament specialists, and you have to bring team tournaments, and then you also have to up, up other formats as well. So it's not just about the team tournament; it's not just about the singles. It might be like two v twos or, or whatever, right? Uh, and it also you also have to be big big spectacles. So I I don't think to kind of summarize this, I don't think we're we're there yet in terms of reaching the pinnacle. Um, and my opinion on what the pinnacle event is is something kind of like a super combination of everything which i think is a bit of a cop-out answer but i, I think that's also the truth um and so it, it's tough and all of that is really really hard um and i'm glad we're having conversations like this with influential members of the community uh so we can kind of figure out where everyone's at what everyone's opinions are um and hopefully someone listening to this podcast might uh spread the word and maybe we can get this going but i think it has to be a community effort and 100%. Yeah, it
1: definitely does and as soon as the sponsors start getting on board and this there's, there's more of a like incentive for companies right. to get involved i yeah. think that'll be the next big step
2: yeah and the thing is no one's doing it perfectly right like i, I could look at the lvo and point out so many problems because I- i'm there and i know what the lvo needs to work on what the gw stream needs to work on even what the honest war game as good as the capital city bloodbath stream was no stream has been perfect like no one's got gotten it. Like no one's figured it quite out yet. But we we keep seeing pieces of the formula, you know, pulling together. Um, and then with new people coming into the fray, um, you know, I think we'll see it. But I don't think we're quite there yet. All right. Next question. This is kind of similar. Um, <clears throat> actually, no, it's completely different. We're we're moving on. To Classic pop <laughs> boom. <Pablo. Vintage>. Uh,
1: <laughs> I wouldn't expect anything less.
2: <laughs> so, uh, we're. Nova's coming up right around the corner. Uh, Everyone's talking about the new Space Marines. So this is kind of a duo question uh, that we'll start with with Skari first. Um, What do you think about the new Space Marines? What do they bring to the table in terms of a competitive meta? uh, Basically, in terms of the competitive meta, what do they bring to the table? And um, what are some top lists that people should look out for, uh, not only at the tournament, but also on stream for Nova? Um, Maybe lists that, that aren't on people's radar, uh, Space Marines. What are Space Marine players going to bring? Um, what is a snapshot picture of the meta? Before Marines
0: you answer that, I just want to clarify that Space Marines have not made the cutoff for Nova, so oh, yeah, they're right. still
1: using the old uh, codex. So I think yeah, you're asking. So I'm going to answer here. that question now. I think there will be no joke. <laughs> um, <laughs> triple well for Nova. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but in terms of the the actual new Space Marine book, I. I was lucky enough to, to get a, a preview copy from GW. And, you know, reading through it, I really like the the increased damage output from the Space Marines. I feel like uh, there's a lot more ways to, to have the Space Marines sort of like hit you with like a haymaker across the, the side of the face and like try and put you down flat on the ground before you can get back up and fight back. Um, at the end of the day, Space Marines haven't really. Gained much in terms of resiliency, except for the Gravis armor that kind of went up in like wounds and stuff like that. And Centurions, um, and a lot of their chapter tactics are really really fun, like uh, Iron Hands and Black Templars, and like they all got some extra stuff. Um, however, they they did gain a lot in terms of like offensive output, in terms of being able to tailor your list with relics and warlord traits and um you know aggressors that can move and shoot twice and so there's a lot more versatility within the army itself and i feel there's so many good choices that it's gonna it's gonna take a few keen minds to find a mix that works within the different tournament formats that we're seeing right on What, what i'm saying is that there's a lot of good stuff in the book and it's going to be hard to kind of pick and like pick and choose exactly what you
3: want to take. I, I think there's going to be a variety of things that we see. I'm I'm just very happy that space marines actually feel dangerous again. Like prior yeah. prior to this prior to sure. this book, was there actually a unit that anybody could put down on the board from the space marine book? We'd be like, huh, I actually need to prioritize that. There wasn't, unless it was like three predators, in which case you would just be like, okay, well my I can very easily pick up one of those, and then it's no longer a thing. Um, like oh, oh, one thing that still bothers me, I'll just put it out there, is that they still don't have what feels like a combat powerhouse unit. Like there's no there's no runs, there's no aberrants, there's no there's no real crazy charge deterrent apart from like Bobby G and maybe Smash Captains. Um, but I do I am absolutely over the moon that I can field uh, like a mono Space Marine army and it, it actually is going to be dangerous. So
0: I think there's actually, like you guys said, a a variety of different space frame builds, and time will tell what the Mm -hmm. successful ones are. Um, To Adam's point, I think it's actually really interesting that there is no core to the army. Like you would use Bulgrins or Aberrins or something like that Mm -hmm. as a functional core, and you base your army around this really hard-to-kill bully unit. Um, Because that's not the case, I think you have to make a more – kind of flowy Space Marine Army that can isn't so it's not centered around any one unit you need a bunch of different units that can function independently and where like if you lose one it's not critical it's just more stuff so not necessarily MSU style but more like you have many different units that are just really strong especially with the new doctrines and chapter traits like Skari was talking about um, and you have incredible characters the book can pump out some really creative powerful characters so you have all these small things that if your opponent dedicates too much to, you can really punish him. If he doesn't dedicate enough, you'll kick his butt with them. It's a really different way of building an army, which I find really so you're, interesting.
3: So you're saying that because there's no big polarizing super unit, you get a lot more freedom. There's a lot more flexibility.
0: Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, like I was working on a list this today, which I'm going to put out in my article tomorrow. I guess by the time this episode goes out, it'll, the article will already be out. But still, um, it's centered around three units of eliminators some thunder fire cannons and some whirlwinds and then characters Ooh. you literally if i got a decent table with terrain you can't shoot it at all and you, there's what are you going to attack it's units you can't shoot nothing's worth charging and it's badass characters yeah,
2: that is what i'm working on that is almost identical <laughs> to what i'm working
0: on uh. and that's just one of the many ways to build space marines i'm not saying that's the right way or the only way you can make a gulliman not a gulliman gun line that's gone but you can make <laughs> an ultramarine gun line with Tons of like four or five attack intercessors that shoot a million shots at AP minus two, aggressors that shoot a billion shots AP minus one, moving and shooting twice. You can, the book is really flexible, especially when you combine white scars and, and ultramarines as well as supplements. So. But yeah. I think, like you said, there's no core to it, which is I think its biggest strength. Actually, as long as as well as it's one of its weaknesses.
1: I think that it's very exciting that we're actually talking about Space Marines for once in you know yeah. Eighth Edition. <laughs> you know, I think that the fact that it's it's part of a conversation just shows you just shows you that there's there's like there's, you can be passionate about your army, and eventually you're going to get stuff. Especially in this Eighth Edition, which I I definitely feel is is the most balanced edition we've ever had. Yeah, by far. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Another thing that I really like though is that there are so there's so much stuff in this book. You know, all the new the warlord traits, all the new stratagems that are actually useful now. It's not like only having two stratagems in your book, you know? You know, like fight twice and shoot uh, make something slow with a Thunderfire cannon. It was like the only and like fight when you die yep. or whatever. Uh the new the new psychic trees are really, really good um you know like uh null zone became really dangerous <laughs> like yeah, super yeah, dangerous. crazy Ultramarines <laughs>
2: get a one unit uh, roll their wound rolls
1: uh null zone is every unit within six inches of the psyker has no inval save yeah, yeah and if a if a an enemy psyker tries to cost a power within six inches of that psyker you half the what they mm. roll
0: yeah. In its older form, it used to be models within yeah, six means, inches. Yeah. So, like, let's say you catch 30 plague bears, but you're only in 24 models. Yeah. They'll take the same carry, like 26 others. You can get yeah. all
1: 60 plague bearers if you put your Primaris, like, librarian that jumped out of a moving transport, you know, right into the middle of the face. And now you have your repulsor just nuke 30 plague bears or 60 mm. plague bears or whatever mm. it is. It's or your aggressors, you know what I mean? Very interesting armor. Like, for there's sure. so many things that they can do. And, and it's just. I like it. It, it. But at the same time, they die about the same as they did before. Yeah. So as a Space Marine player, you're going to have to play very surgically. You're going to have to hit it, hit the enemy hard uh, and kill the things that can kill you back quickly. But now you can actually do it. Whereas before, they just didn't really have the punch to do yeah, it. Yeah, Honestly, I feel and like it plays the, the way a Marine nice. Army should play. It's yeah. just yeah.
0: very hard hitting, not... Easy to play with. You're just going to need to use your brain when you play with it, and very elite. Yeah,
2: yeah. We, we don't even have the supplements yet. The, there's so many. Well, more there's problems. two out of six now, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, we don't. We don't have all the supplements yet. Um. So, you know, who knows what the next four books have? That's four more books of new characters, new relics, new psychic powers, warlord trade stratagems.
3: Has it been confirmed that they're just going to be the generic? They're just going to be you know, imperial fists, a uh, salamanders, nine hands. You know i kind of probably make an assumption you
1: know, or, or an educated they... guess based on what they've done in the past, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I Slash think we also what... have the
2: pictures of them, too, online.
1: Uh, no, they were redacted, redacted yeah, I think. Out,
2: oh, yeah, the, in the community page. on the community yeah. page. Oh, it's pretty enough. safe to say that was,
3: it was the mm-hmm. three that I just said, plus Raven Guard, yeah?
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I will say that um, just by use, looking at next week's pre-orders, so the pre-orders for next next week... Um, there's not going to be another space marine supplement yeah. coming out this yeah. month, and mind uh, you, which, which is already out. Dark on, angels
3: was on the back of the white dwarf, wasn't it? There's oh, a dark angel symbol remember. on the back of the white dwarf, and everyone's, oh, everyone's yeah, speculating yeah, that They're next. <clears throat>
2: well, I mean, you know, the dark angels have been speculated about for a time.
3: <laughs> Man, I'd be, know, ever- oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna polarize your uh, viewership, but I'd be quite happy if they just turn them. I'd be think it'd be fun. Just 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 oh, turn no. him.
2: <laughs> you saw half the viewers just crash yeah. laughing and the other half angrily and the, co- the comment section her, just implies. heading towards australia <laughs> <laughs> just pulling over typing in these yeah this guy dark angels or anyways
1: um, uh, one last note i want to say is something that i really like about the marine book is you can give some of these like minor relics that's like a new thing like special issue war gear it's like a minor relic could you explain how that works actually i was trying to wrap my head around it so so so, you can either give you have your relics like your actual relic relics and you've got like special issue war gear that you can give to like uh any character and or like a sergeant essentially so, so you can give it you can give like artificer armor to like a like a tech marine to sorry to like a devastator sergeant or you can give a master crafted weapon to your aggressor sergeant so now his Bolt Storm gauntlets are all 2 damage or oh,
0: but does that does that still count as a relic like do I So you can take it MCP? either
1: you can take it as a free relic so you can make that your free relic if you want right or you can there's a stratagem where you can spend one command point and take that and take relics and put them on sergeants so not only can your heroes take relics you can also put relics on your sergeants but it
0: it would stack right so let's say i have a free relic that's a proper relic and then i want to buy another relic for a cp and i want to buy a special sergeant relic thing special
1: issue thing you can do it that's gonna cost me three cp or one. no 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 because all space marines have this really cool thing where every relic you want is just one cp Mm. Yes. And you can take wow. as many as you want.
0: Yes. That is really cool. Yeah, you but,
1: can spend five CPs and take five relics on five different characters.
2: That is really cool. Or, sorry. Yeah. But, the, but they're spe- only the special issue war gear stuff. So for all intents and purposes outside of that stratagem, the, the special issue war gear relics are just relics you can take like normal, like every other book. And then there's one stratagem, maybe two stratagems that pertain just specifically to the special issue war gear relics. And those, that's where they actually become relevant because that's how you throw them on your sergeants and stuff. So,
3: I'll do that again. It's, it's yeah. really yeah, I think it's cool. It's just a, a nice yeah. little bit of flavor. Thank
0: you. Well, that's one of the cool things about Space Springs now. It's so customizable what you can do with it.
2: Hmm. One thing you could do, I, I haven't looked at it to see if this is even viable, but you can take company veteran squads and squads of two and one of them is a sergeant because one company veteran becomes a sergeant. I will check veteran. that right now. I, I, or It's either that or it's honor guard uh, there's one the, the
0: company vets are two
1: men's they've been two men forever yeah company but, veterans are one space marine veteran and one space marine veteran sergeant
2: yes so so you can take four squads of company veterans two man squads give each of the sergeants a relic possibly and then drop down in a drop pod with a bunch of basically like four or five relics
0: you could definitely do that if Rule of Three didn't exist. Oh, <laughs> so maybe a year and a half ago. Uh,
2: damn. <laughs> <laughs> <This> is- come, <laughs> come on! I, <laughs> I just assume that Ultramarines are immune to all of that stuff. I mean, sure. our drop pods come in and are completely ignore, like a whole page of text
3: <laughs> for oh, rules. So really fun. yeah. how funny is the Company Veteran thing? Like, you you work your butt off as a Space Marine to become like this, this Company Veteran, and then like. Half of the company veterans are sergeants. Like every second dude's a sergeant, and so half of you are just sh- schmuck scouts again. You're a company veteran. It's
0: also but what you're a, a what a lovely life to live. It's like we worked really hard. We're finally yeah. company vets. Oh man, my my character took a wound he didn't feel like taking. I guess I I'll, guess die, I'll die, die. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> or uh, what do you need me for, boss? Well, we need you to just stand here yeah. and take an elite slot
3: and do nothing else. You see that last cannon? That's got your name yeah, on it. S- go get shot survived like hundreds of battles and hundreds of years old just to be like a glorified bullet bullet Mm. shield well done Mm. (laughs) works have figured it out works are using the garage
0: space marines we use our vets yeah we use our (laughs) veterans
1: (laughs) get the most experienced guys up to the front give them all a tiny shield go combat shields
3: (laughs) for the (laughs) win
0: here's your two point gun here's your two point shield go get (laughs) them
2: Yeah, I, I'm I'm really excited for Space Marines. I think I think that uh, one cool thing you could take away from what all of you are saying is that Space Marines look powerful. They look like they have a lot of good stuff, but they're still killable and beatable, right? Um, which you see this with every new army or every new codex come out. Uh, you generally see a lot of like <clears throat> saying and teeth gnashing, like oh, this is OP, this is strong, um, just because it's new and this this is a thing that happens in a lot of gaming communities, not just in 40k, um but space marines aren't op they're they're really powerful but you know they're not like yeah. you know free Brimstone horrors good or like well, yeah you know, inari level broken what's Reese's
3: favorite saying the the 40k hyperbolt everybody just loses their mind no matter what comes out when it Every comes time out, a new codex comes out there's
0: there's like a a series of things that yeah. happens there's the people who lose their minds the people who say it sucks there's the people who try to make the worst thing possible really good cuz they're they don't know what they're talking about. It's hilarious mm. to watch, actually. It's every single every, time. About.
3: Every why time. Uh, my, so, but I've got this weird prediction about space marines. So their, their damage output all, all of a sudden looks like it's going to be off the charts. Like it's going to be a Tau-level tau range damage output. Um, but unlike Tau, uh, their resilience, like I think Sky said before, hasn't gone up. So initially, everyone's just going to alpha strike marine armies. So they're going to switch to what you guys were talking about and having like almost a null deploy. Um but then the issue is you just lose you lose the mission you lose you lose the game on the mission because although you have a significant amount of damage output you're not going to be killing tanks unless you take right. multiple whirlwind Scorpiuses from no line of sight shooting with marines um, which is really good which you could just do Phenomenal. which you could just do that but they're like 200
0: which one of the best indirect fire tanks in the game for indirect fire based they 200
3: you can double shoot them they're 230 points each are they or something. Or triple shoot them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're, they're not they're not a cheap freaking investment. It's like a 30-year army to take three of them. Um, well, what are you spending your points on? We're not taking any units. <laughs> <Yeah>. So what <laughs> I was about to say, I think it's going to split. It's, gonna, it's all the veterans with storm shields. It's going <laughs> <it's laughs> to split into the null deploy being like just the Thunderfliers and maybe some rapier carriers and then having like a drop pod reserve um, Yeah, as much as I'm talking about this uh, character,
0: line of sight, ignoring army, I'm sure you can't realistically find a board to hide all of that. Not not in a normal singles tournament. So you're going to have to branch out and take other units, probably reserve some stuff, do that kind of thing, and actually play the game a little bit. But um, conceptually, I like it. But like you said, I think you're going to see a lot of people bring gun lines. And alpha strike each other, and then the null deployment type style list is really strong against gun lines because it basically
3: blunts their entire strategy. Well, there's only two armies in the game that can do it now. One's Space Marines, one's GSC. Apart from those two, like, you can't actually force your opponent to waste their first turn otherwise. You totally can. Uh, you, I, I've done it with so many armies. Nah, no, totally can't. It, <laughs> they're all terrain-dependent, the, man. So terrain-dependent.
2: So, so the thing I love about Space Marines also is that they they have the capability and and you, you haven't seen it yet um but they have the capability to outshoot Tau like they can do it it's not not saying they, not saying it's like hundred percent certain but they have the capability to do it and uh, they have more tricks than Tau does Tau are very simple they have the have shield especially the competitive builds now shield drones protect your dudes shoot your army hope they don't get to you and kill you that's it's it's kind of what the builds are right now for Tau. Where space marines can go a bunch of different avenues with all their characters. They also have psychic powers. Uh, they have cool strats. They can do a lot of unique random things. Um, and I feel like they have the best Gene Circle matchup, period.
0: Definitely do. My Circle, do not appreciate <laughs> what you've done here, Pablo. Yeah, I'm blaming the, you for this.
2: They've got infiltrators and eliminators, which are the best screening units in the game. Infiltrators obviously keep you 12 inches away, eliminators can overwatch. Out of line of sight, by the mm-hmm. way, mm-hmm. Um, and then if that when that sergeant shoots... Well, the sergeant can't overwatch out of line of sight, but um, if that sergeant shoots his instigator bolt carbine and then moves back six inches, they move back out of range or potentially get you in a really precarious situation or bad charge. Um, they can also just move six inches towards you and cut your charge mm-hmm. off. It, it's just just those two units alone on, on top of scouts still being able to infiltrate, null deploying, and then just shooting. It's a not just Cold, that. I mean, like, off the table. as a Gene
0: State player, I, I live and die by hugging people yeah. and then avoiding the 4,000 shots that Space Marines put in. But now Space Marines have, like, four
3: attacks, five attacks each. They'll just kill me yep. if I hug them. It's, yeah. it's a whole it's a whole pile of please don't. No. Question yeah. um, um, yet to figure Cescari, out The Impulser, the new uh, Ute or truck, whatever the Americans call it, <laughs> Um, does that thing, how many points is that with the 4 plus involunt and does it have auto launches
1: I will get back
3: to you in 30 seconds the points are like 90 something 75 base and then you pay something for the 4 plus involunt but my thinking is auto launches are smoke launches you can use every turn so if you can get a screen of 3 of those guys, toughness 7 10 wins, 4 plus involunt, making them minus 1 to hit every turn, you can just sit there being minus 2 to charge in front of your gun line and just wait for people to try And they can't wrap you up. You've got fly, and you're annoying as all hell. I just think that's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, they do the same same job. Space Space
3: Marines have so many different builds.
0: Um, It's been out for like two days.
1: (laughs) Something I want to see is I want to see someone to make an army of land raider redeemers work (laughs) that can fall back and still shoot their flamers. Dude, if... That's Finally, I think
0: we should probably. We should. On. Yes, We <laughs> about Land Raider Redeemers. I think that was the conversation. We, hey, hey. <laughs>
1: we all <laughs> have three of them in our basement, don't you? I only have,
3: have two. I have, oh, have <laughs> Land Raider <laughs> Crusaders. They're far worse. I, oh, <laughs> I
1: have a Crusader as well.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh! All right, well. um this Moving is competitive 40k days. guys. Land yeah. Raider is hey, the yeah, talk. Man. We're competitive <laughs> at all levels of the game, Nick. From Land Raider to Gilliman Gunline with repulsors. Okay. Oh, I know.
0: Mr. Diffie over here from Down under <laughs> Pairings tried to run two Land Raiders <laughs> <laughs> over at the ESC. Okay, so going back yeah, to the Impulsor well it, here,
1: it's seventy nine points base with the okay. two stone bolters.
3: Outrageous. Okay.
1: Right, so seventy nine points base, and then you can have you can give it like have extra heavy stubbers. Two more. Uh, you can give it to this uh, frag storm launchers instead of storm waltors. Does it have auto launchers? And you can give it. You can no, it does Both. not. Uh, it does not have auto launchers. However, you can give it the shield dome, which is something. That's fancy. Plus is
3: yeah.
1: that it? The shield dome is eighteen. Plus so oh,
3: seventy nine yeah. plus eighteen. Ninety seven. Yeah.
1: yeah. Less than 100.90 something. I so much bad. prefer
0: to go back to the topic of Josh's uh, <laughs> <laughs> singles uh, adventure with Tumble and uh, he did, I think That's far more interesting.
3: He, than, he did uh, so well, he dropped he for day school. two. <laughs> yeah, he didn't want anyone to uh, to be overwhelmed. Yeah, he Couldn't take it the meta. It easy easy. He, wasn't ready to, he wasn't ready to break <laughs> the meta on <run>, everybody.
2: Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um. So the final question has to do with the big September FAQ, but I feel like that's probably... Something we can skip because I want to talk about the ETC. So, for those of you who are unaware, the very few of you who are, uh, the European Team Championships did just happen two weeks ago, uh, and each of these players were in a team. Um, and although they all all the teams performed differently, I think each of them have a pretty cool, unique story about their team and how they performed. Uh, so, I want to I'm going to open it up to Nick, uh, obviously, because the team won, uh, and Nick, I feel is one of the best people at explaining the ETC, probably because he does it all the time. Uh, was so was
0: seventh ETC,
2: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Nick, for the uninitiated, just quickly tell everyone about the ETC, uh, and then tell everyone about um, your team, uh, what you played, and how you guys did.
0: Yeah, I'd be happy to. So the ETC, for those of you who don't know, is uh, basically the 40K Olympics, is how I would describe it. Um, each team... Uh, assembles a team of eight players. Generally, these are these try to be the best eight players they can get their hands on. Some teams are of less economic status than others because countries and economy and world politics, and I'm not getting into all that. But those teams typically just go with whoever they can afford. At the end of the day, though, we're all just people who play 40K and go over to Europe and play together. Um, so the team is eight players, and it's eight singles matches, um, one versus one over and over and over again. And your team compiles a score based on how they do. It's a different scoring system than the ITC or Nova or any of the other ones you're used to. The missions are a combination of Eternal War, Maelstrom, and Kill Points. And uh, basically, however many victory points you score throughout the game, you compare it to your opponent's score. And then you take it. So let's say I had 36 points and my opponent scored 22. You take the difference, which in this case would be 14, you apply it to some sort of sliding scale, which I've never figured out. It's too complicated. Um, and then basically you score between 0 or 20 based on how you do. So if I scored 14 points on the sliding scale, my opponent would score 6. If I scored 20, he would score 0, etc. Just like that, just so the total equals 20. So over your 8 games, everyone's got to score between 0 and 20. Um, the draw range is 75 to 85. So if everyone scores an average of 10 points, which is a draw... Um, the the round would end 80 to 80, and you guys would draw. It doesn't actually matter if six people win and two people lose. Uh, you could still draw or lose that round. Vice versa, if only two people win, but your other losses, like if your two wins are 20 points and 20 points, and everyone loses 9 to 11, you've scored 9 times 6 is 54, 20 and 20 would be 94 that is a healthy win right there so it's really interesting um team format has the pairings process involved so it's not just like in singles where you get randomly paired against someone that's who you're playing there's this concept of attacking and defending so you want some all comers list to kind of be defenders and you want some hunter attacker lists to go fight them so like 180 gaunts which is something australia brought nothing really destroys 180 gaunts. It just stands there against the objectives. It'll get you points even if it loses. Whereas something really skewed like four knights, you get that into an army that can't handle four knights, all of a sudden you're looking at a 20-point win because they just couldn't beat you. At the same time, if you get your knights mispaired and they play in something that can absolutely destroy four knights, you're looking at a big fat zero. So some there's a balance of strike between your all-comers lists, your, your defenders, your big hammer lists and all that. Um but that's basically the long and short of it. And every year uh the teams gather and they play six rounds and the best team out of six rounds wins the thing. Um <laughs> I yeah. Uh generally speaking, I've been on America, so I played on Team America from two thousand thirteen through two thousand eighteen. Maybe it's two thousand twelve, I forget. Um this past year, um they didn't accept my application. They wanted to switch the team, I guess, and try a different method of creating a team, not really sure what happened there, um, and then I wasn't going. And then England had approached me after LVO, and they found out I was a freelance agent at this point, and they were like, hey, would you like to play for us? And I was like, I thought about it for a little while, we had a couple of interviews, and then I accepted. I knew most of the English guys from previous ETCs, I have friends with them, they're great people. Um, so I was on a team, we worked throughout the year on lists and strategies and things like that. Fast forward to August, about two weeks ago, and uh, now we're in Serbia, and we're playing 40K. We're all having a great time, and uh, we had some really hard games, but we won. So we went 5-0-1. Uh, no team went straight 6-0. We were first place with 5-0-1. We actually played the Australians in the last round. That was a fun one. Um, but overall, we played uh, Finland, who's a really solid team um they're also my people because i conquered their lands a couple years ago when i visited finland uh and i won one of their tournaments um then we played germany who is historically one of the best teams out there they won like three years in a row or something they're always top competitors and we smoked them that was a, a big morale booster for us uh basically it goes two rounds per day so you always know who you're playing in the first third and fifth round um, so in the third round, we're set to play America. So obviously there's some uh, friendly rivalry there between the English and the Americans, especially because I'm on England now. Mm-hmm. Um, but we came to play. So of the Americans it was a great round. Um, English ended up taking that one. I played an excellent game with Alex Fennel, the Saint, over on the, the stream. So you can check that out on Glass Glasshammer Gaming. And then, uh, then we played Poland, another top team. They... Win a lot. I think they've won two or three times. Also, they're also if they don't podium, it's a strange year. Basically, podium being top one, two, or three. Well, he's underselling
2: Uh, this. Hold on, Poland, the Polish powerhouse, uh, according to last week's chapter tactics episode, is the team that I believe has won the most or podium the most. most. Um, They're they're you know they're one of the winningest teams and Team England. uh, You know I don't like to use this term very much because it is it's a little little you know but it's one hundred thirty two to twenty eight. So a if, if
0: everyone scored, a maximum round is 160. Out of we scored 132. I guess 132 divided by eight. Someone want to do that math for me?
2: No, oh, okay. don't do math. I just talked for you. <laughs> All right. That's why I'm I doing was it. Time. I'm doing it. I'm getting out <laughs> the calculator uh, while he's calculating out with fingers and toes. Uh, Poland, no disrespect.
0: 16.5. So basically, an average score of our round was 16 or 17 to their three or four. So we that's dominated huge.
2: every game. 16 is a huge yeah, win Sixteen D DC. Yeah,
3: and,
2: yeah and, and, that's um, a big one. And Poland is a really good team. No disrespect to them. They always bring the pain. It just shows how, how dominant team England is. We, we did the
0: prep year. work this year. We spent so much time on our list. We spent so much time doing pairings. We Honestly, like, we felt like a professional sports team. Like, I've been on America for six years, and I've been on England for one, and none of my six years on America felt as cohesive and organized and just properly done as this one year on England. So that was very refreshing and enlightening. Um, but back to the report, um, in round five, we were set to play Russia who I guess was the, the team to beat this year. If we weren't, um, they won singles or one of their players won singles. Um, I nearly got me on battle points. We both went undefeated. I ended up in second place. He ended up in first due to battle points. Um, but they were they were dominating. Like we were, uh, I think in second place to them. We both were undefeated two and o or three and o. But they were destroying people. Like despite our winning against Poland one hundred thirty two to twenty eight or whatever, they were dunking everyone like that. It was just a bloodbath. Yeah. Um, so we went into Russia. We knew this was this was going to be the round, the make or break round. If um, and we went there, they had unorthodox lists. They had, they brought a gray knight army that actually worked. They brought foot space marines before this codex. We made it cool. They brought the weirdest list ever. Tier 100 warriors. I fought against Tier 100 warriors. Um, But they knew what they were doing. They came to play. They played hard. They played fair. And uh, we barely drew them. We were on the cusp of winning. My game ended early. It ended on turn 5. They used random game length over there. Had it gone to 6 or 7, I would have turned my 14.1 to like 17 or 20. Manny's or Josh's game, same thing. He ended up with zero points, but if it goes one more turn, he flips it to like a twenty. Not really sure how that works out in the game, but that's what they told me. Um, and then Manny's game, uh, same same kind of thing, just some crap dice, and he started losing where he should, have, where we had it as a small win on our projected scores, and we we narrowly drew. So like I said, the draw range is like eighty five to seventy five. We ended up scoring eighty three points to their seventy seven, I believe. Yeah. Um, so, really close. A couple things go our way. We win that round, but it's okay. Then we got rewarded by. We were still in first place because Russia um, took some penalties, I guess, for slow play. I wasn't really paying attention. So, they ended up losing a lot of tiebreaker points. So that pumped us to first. Australia in second. Russia in like third or fourth. Um, so, we got to play these guys yeah. in the yeah, finals. Could not have asked for a more it fun was final. Like, these are. A great gentleman. Right. I'll let Adam cover this yeah, one. Yeah. We, I definitely
2: but... definitely don't want to steal any of Adam's. Yeah, yeah, well. yeah I don't want to. Taken enough from um, me. Um, um, but I'm sorry. <laughs> so, we, yeah. we had a really
0: great round. I won't say anything more than that. But we ended up pulling the win. I will spoil that one. And, Everyone knows that winning The events. So. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so I want to. Great.
2: Uh, I want to ask Nick some things, and then and then I will move on to Adam and Skari. Uh First, before before I move on to asking Nick things, Russia team Russia was was the battle points leader. For this tournament and they had almost 80 points up on the next highest which is team england so russia had the tiebreakers throughout the whole tournament which means team england needed that one extra point over them to win the whole thing if russia one extra match point one extra no, match point match point, no. match point. sorry not battle points just battle points and match points um russia needed one extra match point to tie england and basically win the whole tournament um which i understand might not have shaken out that way because that was a round five game And round six, obviously, things might have changed. Um, Russia might not have scored as many points. But it it was very, very tight was my point here. Uh, And Poland did podium again with a top three finish. So it it was really, really close. Uh, I want to talk about... I want to ask you a little bit about Team USA and the Team USA game, Nick. Um, Now, I love... I I really love tournament drama and tournament controversy. Not the... (laughs) I know, I know, I know where you guys are going with this. Not the not the cheating kind, not the like the the actual drama kind of attacks on people's players, but tournament drama in in competitive drama is, is important, and I think especially for drawing narratives and getting people. Yeah, you want interested. to make a reality TV right, show like this? I gotcha. Like Brandon Grant versus Alex Harrison this past year. Um, maybe not necessarily Tony got tonied uh, but you get these moments where where people want to root for the underdogs. Right or or some sort of narrative, and I think that one of the big driving narratives for this year's ETC was you, someone who'd been to the ETC previously for Team USA, consistently. You were you know a mainstay on that team, one of the top performers on the team. Uh, you didn't make the team this year, and obviously uh, it worked out for Team England who drafted you, uh, and then you guys got to play each other in round four, and you basically I I don't want to I don't I know you didn't completely eliminate Team USA. Um, but I do want to say that it was definitely an uphill battle for them, um, and you di- delivered a haymaker that almost knocked them out of the tournament. Um, so I just wanted to ask you a little bit, was that drama on your mind at all, um, or, or was it something you weren't really thinking about when you were playing there? And also, did you joining Team England help in that matchup at all?
0: Yeah, those are some really great questions. Um I'd definitely be lying if I didn't take it at least somewhat personally that I was off the team. Um, it's something that I dedicated the better part of a decade to every year. It's not just a weekend of 40K like every other 40K tournament, and it's not even just painting, collecting your army, which obviously takes time. These are teammates who you grow bonds with over years. Um, friends, we practice together, we play together, we talk almost every single day about it, and um, and then to be just taken off without any real explanation definitely sucked. Um, so for me it was personal. I'm sure for a lot of members on Team America it was also personal um, because it was not like a unanimous vote to just bring me off the team. It was kind mm-hmm. of a unilateral decision from the upper management. Right. I'll say.
2: Yeah, and and that's a and that's a thing with professional sports is like things things are business, and uh, I just I just wanted to point that out real quick because I know you did take it personally. Um, but I also get the sense talking to you and Sean that there's still a mutual respect there. It's just not, it, it's, this is what part of legitimizing 40k is about, right? You, you yeah, gotta I, I don't want to get into my personal okay. relationships right, with
0: enough. any specific person. Um, but I do, like I said, I, I took it personally. I'm sure they took it personally as well. It was, it was, uh, we were both there to play. We were there to have a great time. We're there representing our. <laughs> We're representing countries, and we're we're there as part of something that's bigger than ourselves. So we we played professionally, and we took it seriously, and I had a great game. I played Alex Fennel, like I said. I hope everyone else did. From everything I heard, everyone seemed to have a great time, so that's solid. Um, Definitely uh, bringing me off of America and putting me on England gave England quite the edge in that round, and not just because I'm a good player. It was I gave them a lot of value. So previously, and historically speaking, as an as a Team America player, uh, as an opposition to Team England, we have always, every year, this year included, Team America has felt that they have been outlisted by Team England. Like Team England just had a better read on the meta, better understanding of this, better knowledge of that, and they just beat us in lists. And then every year, um, traditionally, Chester and I would do the pairings. Chester's a Team America member. um, and we would outpair the crap out of England. We would just get them with uh, the process, like who's attacking, who's defending, who gets what board, that whole micro aspect to the game, which is huge because it sets the tone for the whole match. Mm-hmm. Um, we would always beat them. That, we would leverage that to either a draw when we're outlist or even a win when we are supposed to lose on paper. Um, so, knowing how the Americans pair, being well versed in the pairings process myself, I brought that over to Team England. And not only did it help in the American round, it helped in every round, I was pretty integral in every pairings process. But in the Americans especially, I knew which players were stronger, which players were weaker, how who's gonna try who we should personally get into each player as long as in addition to the list being factored in as well. There was a lot of I don't wanna say trade secrets, but there was a lot of information that I had to give. Right.
2: Too, so, and and, and I think helped. that's, I think that's fair to say. It's not like some sneaky thing. Like it's, it's just a fact of of the game, right? Like the, that happens all the time in Olympic sports and in professional sports. When another player, when a player gets drafted by another team or traded to another team or something, it there's always that that risk that you get of um, that player, you know, learning about you or you just like the John Gruden thing in 2002. I know I'm, I' I know I'm isolating fans who don't play football or American football or fall American football but John Gruden the head coach for the Buccaneers, beat his team the Raiders and it was it wasn't even close right because he was a head coach for this team that he built and he knew all their plays like it was you know, it's just a fact. Pablo, uh, so I just yeah. I just want to
3: I I can't overstate this enough when you talk about team events how important the pairing process is. Now at the mm-hmm. at the microcosm the bottom the bottom level of the pairing process is just pairing on uh knights are good against stuff that can't kill knights and horde is good against stuff that's elite like whatever. But so and then there's this big gap and then at the absolute top of the pairing process is being able to, to pair players player versus player. Um, there's this massive gap between those two, but the absolute top of the pairing process and its absolute epitome is being able to say, I know this player is good at playing this mission against this player. Um, and that knowledge, which is what Nick brought to this, is cannot be understated how valuable that is. And that, that is something that, so Nick said before, um, you feel like England always has the better list. That's because, and, and I believe that because England is exposed to the ETC meta and the European meta so much more than, I'd say, Australia and America are. Um, and so I feel that like the same way as about Australia. When we go over there, we always, we're always we actively try and take wonky lists off meta lists because we know we're not going to get spot on the meta there because we're too far removed. So we try and actively go off meta um, and then rely on our pairings and our players to get us back into the fight. Um, and I feel like Nick being able to pair for the players in that round just will show you, anybody who, who wants to look at ATC just how important knowing the players and knowing the environment is. We actually had one of our games flip. it was
0: we, our projected score that round was 120 <laughs> to 40. basically the the way we paired it is I took their two strongest players or who I assumed to be their two strongest players, Mike and Sean and I I took the armies on our team who had not much value like you know they could play some games get some points they weren't worthless, but they had the fewest amount of good matchups and I paired them into those players. Because, you know, Mike and Sean are going to win even in a hard match is the assumption I was under Mm -hmm. on. And then I just tried to dunk the other six players just absolutely brutally. And it worked. Like, pairings-wise, I basically chose what I wanted and got it. Um, It was – one of the games went sideways. So, we only won – I say only in quotes here. We only won 100 to 60 because someone flipped their zero, or their projected that's, 20, America's that's zero. Have, in eight flipped. games. Right. someone's going to have some bad luck. Yeah, yeah. some someone seizes or yeah, something, yeah. you know, they just rolled really bad. You missed a thing. It's bound to happen sometime. Yeah. It, At it does some happen. At some point.
3: Sorry. Well, um, I, th- I, think, I think we've had enough, you know, America bashing here, you know, American podcast. Okay. We should move on to the true Cinderella story of this. It, Team Canada winning best sports. <laughs> I agree. Because we
1: are we are not known for being nice. Whatsoever. Yeah, that was so out
3: of left field. Everyone was like, These these pack of assholes are never gonna get there. Yeah, I cannot believe you guys won best sports like <laughs> uh, with
1: somebody like Eric on our team and even like an American like TJ Lanigan. I just don't understand that oh, You had an American, and you won best sports? Yeah. Oh, ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. travesty. So, so uh, I've got a
2: question for you, Scary, that I'd like to kind of answer, um, add some insight into, uh, and then we could talk about your, your etc. experience in Team Canada. Uh, with with something like this with etc. Um, I feel like it really shed the light on how important it is to get a good team together, get good players. There are players that have more value than others uh, in general, and I felt like this ETC really highlighted that. So going into the ITC season and competitive 40k in general, how important do you think it'll start to be for uh, teams, not just for ETC teams, but also teams like at the ATC, or even teams like Best Coast Pairings teams like Beast Coast, Team Zero Comp, to start targeting specific players? Because I feel like this is the step right below sponsorships. Right? Like, this is where we're getting there. But how important do you think it will be for people to start targeting specific players uh, and then kind of networking and, and trying to get people onto your team?
1: Well, I think that the value of players is going to have to be something that becomes quantifiable. Mm-hmm. You know, right now it's definitely, like, with the, with the addition of all the stats that are starting to get uh collected from people playing the game and and over the course of like hundreds and hundreds of games and armies and you know getting statistics and then being able to apply them to a player you know you'll be able to start getting a lot more quantifiable information of you know how many points on average a player can get based on their matchups and and once it gets really like i'm talking you know if it once this becomes an actual sport sport there'll be guys that whose job it is to know like you know your on base percentage and you know things like that right like how many points you get for a team and then you could just win based on math based on the players that you get until then though i think it is important to look for good players Um, but it's not just about what a player can bring to the table in terms of points especially at a team event at a team event it's it's just as much a fact of being able to build a good oiled team that can get points, but you also need to have a team that gets along well together or the whole thing falls apart. Mm-hmm. So if you have one player that's just like uh, like a glory hog or um, a player that, that is not humble or that doesn't take a loss well or that sort of like has ego get in the way a lot that can that can that can really tear a whole team apart so it's not just about performance there's a lot more non-quantifiable stuff that goes into it and that's where like a captain or however your selection process happens you have to be able to kind of put your fingers on the pulse of a team and really kind of soak in the the sort of like the energy the vibe of the team as well
2: yeah yeah team um team chemistry is very very important um, and that's something that that we're starting to focus on now too, as well, as a community. Good, good insight, man. All right, Canada, sixteenth place, not not the best showing. However, best sports and some of the nicest guys on the planet playing on your team. How was it uh, for you guys starting into the tournament, Scary, uh, and when you got there and just talk a little bit about your TC experience. Well. Uh,
1: first of all, I believe this is one of the best showings Canada's had at the ETC. Um, first and foremost, like it, Canada's never been like a very serious team at the ETC, as far as I I know. Um, but this year that we've sort of put uh, the building blocks or have been put in place to create a team that is, that is going to compete at a more professional level at the ITC, at the ETC, sorry. And like Nick said, you know, being a part of a sports team, that's really sort of like the feel that we're trying to make it a lot more professional, a lot more uh, like business oriented, even though we're going to have fun and meet people and everything like that. And this year really showed. We had for the first time, ever i think we had more repeat players on the team than we've ever had because normally it's been who can afford to go on a canadian team like who can afford the trip but this year was let's pick the best players from the pool of players that we have the good chemistry and take us to the etc to compete and it really showed not only did the team like like we just had so much fun together as a team and um Mm -hmm. And we're really proud of our performance and what we did, and and this is the foundation. As I've said before, Canada will podium in the next two years, um, you know, because we've got a foundation that'll that'll take us there.
2: Right on. Uh, one thing I, I do want to ask you guys about that I think some of the people who are more in tune with the community kind of maybe were scratching their heads a little about, um, and we just came off the topic of how important players are. As Jim Vessel was not on Team Canada, um, was there ever any point? you guys considered moving him to another faction obviously tj Lanigan's a great player i definitely see why you guys wanted to keep him especially with how hard he worked all year to get on team canada but was there any was there any talk about getting jim on your team uh playing a different faction or anything like that
1: uh we had a we had a couple of uh talks about having two even three different chaos lists Hmm. on on the actual team because chaos has so many options that you can kind of mix and match and and really create quite a variety of different choices. You can have like Zangor Thousand Sons with, you know, Chaos Space Marines and then have like demon plague bearers uh, as just in an army of itself, for example. Hmm. So there was there was definitely a different talk like that as well. Yeah, so there were options as we were creating the team.
2: Right on. All right. And how did you personally do?
1: Um, I did okay. My okay. list was designed to go and get uh, not not get like get points, so I didn't get any zeros at all tournament. My job was to go into really tough matchups and uh just soak soak them up for the team. Um, and uh, yeah, the Venoms did really well with that. However, I feel that one thing that Team Canada did sort of struggle with this year was we had a couple of lists that weren't really suited well to the mission format. That in retrospect. You know, we would have changed a few different things, especially my list. I feel like uh, the Venoms were fun, but I would have done a lot better with like 30 grotesques and 110 racks or whatever, Um, you know, which is the kind of crazy list you can take to the ETC team format um, to play the mission. But uh, I personally I had a lot of fun. I learned I, I, I am so humbled every time I go to the ETC because there you think you're good at forty K until you go to play at the ETC and you find out that these people you've never heard of before in your life are better players than you and they will crush you. Hmm. If you're you know, and you just have to play your heart out every single round.
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the most over looked things, especially by us Americans. We live in a bubble um, of North America. You think the ITC rankings determine who's good, who wins LVO, or Adepticon, Nova determines who's good, who places at the 70-man GT in the middle of nowhere. He's got to be decent. There's some truth to it. Like If you're highly ranked in ITC, if you win LVO, you probably are a good player. But Your sample size is maybe one-third, if that, of the total population of people who play this game competitively. And when you are able, if you have the opportunity, I strongly recommend it, to go abroad and play against the best of the best. It is mind-blowing how many good players there are, how they think differently, and how they, they really know their stuff. So it puts it in perspective you know it's just we live in a small world in a very big planet you know
1: yeah yeah and it's like a microcosm of like the best players in every country going to one place to compete and i learn more every year i go to the etc um in that three days of playing than i do like in a year of just going to tournaments it's crazy like just the things that you see people come up with and the think tanks and just and there's no there's no surprise that when you come back from an event like that players who come back from going to the etc like crush it for the
3: rest of the season at like like the tournament stage it's kind of intoxicating isn't it this was my second etc and i came back from it saying i have to go again like, I have to go next year. I have to yeah. keep going. I can't stop. Yeah. It's so... Uh, it's
0: addictive. This was my first time playing the singles event seriously. Usually, as a, uh, with America, we use those two days to practice instead of play. But since I wasn't on America, I took the opportunity to play for once. And uh, I was blown away. A lot of the top players and teams don't play. Yeah. Like, none of the Americans were there. None of the other English guys were there besides Manny. Um None of the Swedish guys were there. There's so many teams that don't even play singles, but even still, the level of competition there that was present in singles just it is harder yeah. than any GT I've been to. Maybe Nova or LVO are comparable in skill. Definitely not in the beginning rounds. The, the bottom player there, like a round one seal in quotes, is one of the best players in the world. So keep right. that everyone's in mind. an Oscar. Yeah. Game. Yeah. everyone um, is an Oscar. It's like every like, game you play. The for guy six you play rounds. round one is not. The guy who's like asking what the stats yeah. are—he's the guy who's probably the best player yeah, in like Slovenia or something, dead.
2: right? Yeah, yeah, and 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 I think that it's so funny that you said that because it's we're beginning to scratch the surface still on um you know communities where we don't necessarily know how good players are. Like for example, Spain coming in with that 400 person tournament coming up soon. Um, you know, there there could be players there that that are savants that we don't know about they're really really good absolutely uh and it's also there's players in the U.S. uh because the U.S. is so massive there there are players I can think of that belong on the U.S. ETC for example um that could probably do really well too so everyone's with something like the ETC obviously you've got the best of the best but you don't have there's not enough players right because you can only bring your eight eight players you can't bring everyone so there's tons and tons and tons of Really, really, really good 40k players. Um, that that if you were to actually bring them all to an LVO sized event, 1000 person event, we actually got like amazing, the best players in the world. Uh, we would get we wouldn't know, we wouldn't be able to predict who wins. It'd probably be someone we've never heard of. When you get to that level,
3: when you get where they like, okay, so I can only bring eight players, but I got 50 top tier, top tier guys. That's when right. team cohesion starts coming into it. Then, when, then you start to think, yep. oh, who's good at this faction? Because we need to take this faction. It's a gatekeeper or whatever. Um, well, it's also not
0: even that. You can be a huge fish, right? You can be yeah. a whale. But there's a slightly bigger yeah, yeah, whale exactly somewhere right. out there, you know? So, like, while there are easy 50 top Americans in the country, at the highest levels of play, the distinctions between 48 and 32 you know, from 90% of the world wouldn't even notice that there's still great players. A great player is a great player for that top 1%. The difference between 48 and 32 as a rank could be like night yeah. and day. Yeah, you're right. Like it's such a, like there's it's such a small margin, but it's so noticeable if you can see the game like that.
2: Yeah. And, and I do encourage everyone if, um, if you're one of those top 1% of those players listening, I do encourage you to travel to other events around the world. Like, uh, Um, Obviously, if you're in Europe, uh, if you can make it out to one of the big, you know, events out here, maybe not necessarily in the U.S., you can go to the Capital City Bloodbath or CanCon, uh, and vice versa. If you're someone in the U.S. and you really want to, you know, learn a lot more from players that you don't necessarily hear talked about a lot on on podcasts like Chapter Tactics, uh, although I do my best, I simply don't know every meta, right? I've I've got my own personal, you know, bubble where I see everyone. It's just impossible for everyone to know how good everyone is, yeah. right? So, get a chance to not just go out to ETC, but also LGT, uh, any other events out in other countries that are running as well. So, it's great. I'm excited, Adam. Yes. If you were to, if you were to uh, predict where Australia was going to land based off of last year's projections. Outside of the team Australia, where would you get? Where would you put you For guys? From the outside looking
3: in, you, you put us. A... Yes, I'll
2: tell you, it was
3: shit. <laughs> <laughs> bottom, middle, bottom, middle. So the middle, middle band at the middle. bottom. Yeah, that's like literally twentieth place. Yeah, that's usually where we sit. If it was thirty six players, it'd be between twentieth uh, and twenty five, somewhere around there.
2: Okay. Well, I've got a little thing called a leaderboard here, and I'm looking at Team Australia, and I don't see them anywhere near the top twenty or the bottom. <laughs> Sorry, excuse me. Um, not even in the top 20. <laughs> <laughs> and I see them as uh, just basically half a game win away from winning the tournament or making the top three. Uh, it was pretty uh, so special. It was, it was super special. So let's talk about that Cinderella run. Um, th- this is something that I think a lot of people were really shocked by. I wasn't as shocked as I knew how many good players you guys had. You guys had Liam, Matt Marsoli, yeah. obviously you, Adam, you're not a, you're not a slouch. Eric Lathoris is amazing. Yeah. Jeremy Martino's is obviously really good and then you've got Diffie.
3: Um. <laughs> well he was the, he was the coach but uh yeah, yeah. look so we fair, we fair. called I called the shot I I called it on a couple of podcasts saying you know watch out for Australia we're actually serious this year we're coming for is um, I did call that we we're going to hit a podium and we fell just just freaking short which is a, a little bit heartbreaking but at the same time really it's really gratifying to know that our best is as good as the best in the world um, uh, so we at ATC last year, um, the, the current captain, um, Peter Plattel, myself, who I was just a player then, and Andrew Armstrong, who was the coach, we sat down and uh, over dinner and just randomly just started having a chat about what it would look like to take an actual Australian team that could compete at the top level. And um, we started spitballing. And then afterwards, um, Pete got voted in as, as captain for um, 2019. And he messaged me and said, hey, we're going to go for it. We're going to literally try and take... The best possible team Australia can field, and we had to make a. It was really weird. Yeah, we had we were wheeling and dealing and like headhunting all the best players we could. We were, everyone in Australia knows who the, who the best players are. It's it's pretty easy to see. And um, we started uh, getting. We had all the ducks lined up yet, and they were all signed on under the proviso that X Y Z were also going to come as well. So we had five of them. We had uh, I think it was uh, Sully was locked away, but then there was Eric. It was Walduck. So Eric with the roost, Hayden Walduck. Um, at the time, we had uh, Hayden Mansky, uh, we had uh, Jerry Martino, and uh, someone else, come. can and they were all waiting for one of the other guys to sign up before they jump in, and then Moroselli jumped in, and then all the ducks fell over, and all of a sudden we went from having no team to the best team Australia's ever fielded, bar, bar none, no, not even come close before. Our last uh, best result, apart from this year, was 15th, and that was in Athens, I think that was 2016, and... Uh, so we made a commitment that now Australia going forward, we're going to come every year, we're going to field a team every year instead of every second year is what we used to do, because it's really crazy expensive for us. The flights alone um, is usually what some of the other teams, you know, could almost provide a whole team's accommodation for one of the European countries, just for one of our plane tickets. Um, so it's really, really hard for us to get a team every year, but now we've committed a team every year. And on top of that, we're going to be pushing I think we haven't we haven't talked yet because we're taking a month off, but we're thinking we're gonna try again. Like we can't come this close as close as we came and not go for it all now.
2: Oh, no
1: I think uh, I think it's well worth your time because once you were telling me before the tournament actually started you were like we're really invested this has to happen and, and you know I remember you know we chatted a little bit before the event it was so nice to see you guys basically just right at the top like fighting with the best of the best so it was really really cool considering you guys have the weirdest <laughs> yeah. and that's
3: another thing as well so we, we had a we had a bit to do this one. firstly we, we wanted to put Australia on the map as a legitimate contender a team to be a team and a country and a nation of 40k players to be taken seriously and respected another one we wanted to shut up a lot of the doubters like in australia we have you know eric lathurus he goes and wins a gt with uh, pure grey knights mono freaking grey knights we have players playing mega knobs which don't don't get anywhere near as much respect as they should and they go and crush events we have people killing it with mono custodes and all these other weird and wonky things and people just look at us and go oh it's because their players aren't good well F you guys, we're good. We're just as good as everybody else, and we might not. We might be wonky. We might be upside down, back to front, inside out. But our players are just as good. We just we just operate on a different frequency. You guys have already disappointed me enough with the <laughs> lack of kangaroo riding to work.
0: If you guys didn't come back with a serious team next year, I would be heartbroken. Um, no, but to, to, to be serious about it. Um, We've all played at the top levels of major GTS, maybe not up. And I'm um, <laughs> wow. um, won a GT. <laughs> couldn't help myself. Um, and we, England and Australia, we were yeah. there. We were the the finals, essentially. The winner of that round takes all. And, and how um, close was it, dude? It was it was crazy close. It was like eighty-eight to yeah, seventeen. We needed, we needed or something. three points but to get the draw the entire way through it was one of the most fun rounds I've ever played. Like, I was getting my ass kicked by Mega Knobs, which is just not a sentence. <laughs> and um, you guys were a pleasure to play. You guys, I don't know, there was no... It was just, like, an honorable game. Like, you Everyone, guys were yeah. pleasures. There's no one, no funny business on any table. Win, lose, draw. It was hugs and handshakes, beers all around. It was... If you guys didn't come back after this performance,
3: I would well, be Well, of course we're it. coming back. It's just whether or not we're coming back. Because, like... It,
0: well, if you didn't come back a with a serious team, team to try yeah, to yeah, win it, I yeah, would be
3: heartbroken. And, and, yeah. and I think we are. I can't say for sure. I'll let you know in the coming months because these things, well, the burnout. Yeah, of course. Life happens is, and, you know, you the don't know. The burnout is but. real. And getting up and going again for another ATC financially is not always a thing for people. People have, I mean, I know Diffie, um, Josh Diffie, our coach, he can't come next year. He's got a young family. He can't commit to two years in a row financially. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky in a very lucky place. i got a good job. I'm single, you know, got my own. Got my own house and stuff. I could financially commit. But um, we're going to try. We're going to try and put together another ass-kicking team and come and do the best we can. Um, a couple of things. So we we got stumped a little bit at the gates. So we rock up. Australia has this um, awesome tradition. And I love that my nation has this reputation tradition as being good. Um, community people for etc. We always come about four or five days early to etc. And we help set up the event. We help put the tables out. We help to put the train out. We help get everything organised so it runs. Um, and that's that's a tradition for our for our nation. Um, and we and we do that mostly because it's the first time we can get every player together in the same place. It's an excuse because we're so spread out across our country. And it's so big and so hard to travel. Those few days together at the start of ETC is a chance for us to galvanize and and get on the same track and practice against each other and list tech and all these amazing things. Um, And we also help set up the event. Um, I love that that's a thing my country does. I think it's something I'm I'm very proud of that. But uh, we were absolutely flabbergasted by the density of terrain. Like when we were setting up the tables, we kept asking, are you sure you want this much here? Really? (laughs) It was nuts. It
0: was crazy. (laughs) There were tables. So Manny's playing uh, like a hundred guardsmen in a Blood Angels Smash Captain Battalion, and there were multiple games where he was able to hide every single guardsman. It was ridiculous. Like in his deployment zone, not like at some point
3: once they've all died. I played starting the game. game So I played my first game of singles. I played against the Knight Army, and he was able to hide every single one of his knights in his deployment zone, top of turn one. It was ridiculous. Yikes. It that's was actually insane. ridiculous. Yeah, yeah ridiculous.
0: Um, As Gene Stealer Cult, I don't think I lost a single model on yeah, turn when you, one. Yeah, when you didn't want it. The, the Twelve games <laughs> yeah. I played. Yeah, uh,
3: it's it's just crazy. And so uh, that that uh, that's, that's a bit of a knowledge disparity. In Europe, apparently, that's not unusual to have that density of terrain. It was still extreme for them, but it's not unusual um, for us. It was absurd. The the light and medium tables, where it would be considered a standard tournament table in Australia. Um, And that's their lightest tables.
0: Yeah, I actually found that as well. Um, Probably, so there's eight tables in a row. There's eight players, eight games. Um, They were ordered, number one is the super ruin heavy table. You couldn't walk three inches without seeing a ruin that blocks line of sight. And table eight was this barren wasteland that had like one ruin, two hills, and nothing else really. And it goes in cascading order. One, super heavy, two, slightly less heavy, eight's nothing. I think table six, which is the third from most light, is your standard Mm. Nova-type terrain, or LVO, good table-type terrain. Like, two two big Ls and some other stuff going on. That was table six out of eight. That's correct. Yeah, it was inside.
1: Well, table eight, like, the seven ginormous Ls or something that some of these tables had, like it was crazy that's why yeah. i said that grotesque would have been great cuz yeah. i could have just had like giant blocks yeah. of never dying you know so i'll kind of see how what they do in luxembourg for 2020 but um you know we'll see how dense it is there i hope that they set out like a like a, like a standardized sort of format that we can kind of base well, it so around though for next well they
0: did have they did take pictures or not pictures. But they had yeah. diagrams of all eight tables, so you theoretically knew what you'd expect. And they do this every year, and every year prior to this one, it's never no, actually it met not. expectations <laughs> because you never, you never get 400 tables worth of terrain correctly. Yeah. Like some some tables are heavier, some tables are lighter. Most tables are lighter because 400 tables worth of terrain is so much terrain. Right. But this year they they did and, it. They got together. Yeah. They got they met the, diagram. the, the so, diagrams. The diagrams
3: had gave you no scope for how tall these things were. Like I didn't. I had no idea yeah. that you could hide a knight behind a single piece. It, of it would
0: say like here's an L shaped yeah. ruin, <laughs> so people would assume like six, six to nine ruin. inches tall. Sure? Six Probably, to
3: nine inches tall. That's what you just said. Yeah, six I mean, nine inches tall. <laughs> not I'm gonna hide knights like <laughs> yeah, multiple yeah. knights <laughs> with these things. Mm.
2: Uh, so. uh obviously Spain had different terrain, right? Last year, uh, what was Spain's terrain like in comparison to this year's? Was it still really dense, or was it not even closer? Spain was
0: more what you'd expect at a normal GT. I mean, some tables are lighter, some tables are heavier, and that's by design. But like the average table is what you'd expect the
2: average table to be. Yeah, and that's another really interesting thing. Is the ETC works a lot like um, how, what FIFA does for the World Cup, right? Uh, where the, the host station hosts it... And kind of like tos the event basically yep. uh, with help of course obviously um, so it's like FIFA without the corruption. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is mostly because it's not billions of dollars involved, but uh, not yet. Um, mm. I don't know about billions. That's, <laughs> not yet. Not that's, yet. Uh, that's, anyways. Not yet, Pablo. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Big dreams, Nick. Um, but the point there is that it just by the nature of the way the ETC program is designed, um, you're going to have different venues. You're going to have different terrain standards uh because tails have access to different terrains and they have access to different resources um so there's not you're, you're probably never going to see any like pure standardization unless you get like a giant warrior house somewhere in the middle of europe where all the etc terrain is out so
0: well that's not necessarily true so if you make your own terrain yeah you know it's a crap right. you're cutting foam and stuff it's never going to be accurate but if you can find a nice sponsor who does terrain Who's willing to work with the ETC leadership and provide the terrain for the event? You know, if they're a company that produces terrain, their terrain is going to be mm-hmm. the same through and through, yeah. just like Frontline Gaming's terrain. If you buy the Tau table four hundred times, it's going to be the same ta- Tau table four hundred times. Yeah. You know, just a company that will do that is how you would have to get that done. You just
2: need the company, a company to step up <clears throat> and also be able to ship to somewhere around the world. It's just it, it's a tough. It, I agree with you, Nick. It's a tough ask, but that would be how you do it. Yeah, I agree. And um, So uh, it'll be interesting to see where the ETC meta is next year with, in regards to the terrain and everything. But that's super interesting. I love all this stuff. Now, uh, I want to kind of talk about the ETC in general and, uh, and team tournaments in a broader sense. So I've got a team tournament coming up at the end of the month. This will be the last kind of question, round of questions. I've got a, a team tournament coming up in the middle of September. And it's a five-person team tournament. And so, obviously, the ETC is eight people. The ETC is five. Uh, some are three-person team tournaments. Do you... Where's the sweet spot? Is it is eight people the right amount, or is eight people only reserved for the ETC? And should it be five-person tournaments? Uh, where do you guys personally fit on that? Because as we get more team tournaments, we're going to have to hit a standard. Right. It's either personally, I think eight is
0: the number. Uh, I've tried ATC many times, obviously, um, and I've even tried the three-man team formats. Three-man isn't even a Mm -hmm. pairings process. Three-man is just playing three games and taking the sum. Five-man, you get a bit more freedom with it. Um, There is a bit of pairings. There is logic to it, but it's still, you know. So basically, the way it works out,
1: two, two. You get to pick two things, and then then yeah. So so
0: five-man. The way it works out is basically. One of my guys defends, he gets attacked, that's a match. One of your guys defends, he gets attacked, that's a match. Then you do it again, and then your last person is the – is Leftovers. So you basically get to choose two matches, your opponent gets to choose two matches, and one is mm-hmm. Leftovers. In And also, odd number versus even number is really important because in an even number system, there's not really that – this is what's going to be left at the end. I mean, that does happen. The eighth match is technically left at the end, but it's more – it breaks down evenly so you don't get that so with eight players each team gets three decision points one person's defending one person's attacking same thing then you have a whole another mini game going on which is like who are they going to save for those last two matches because those last two matches don't really get to be chosen they're almost forced so picking which ones get forced is its own system Mm -hmm. so that's not a thing that's ever experienced in an odd man team format i think even is more important to be than number of players but 8 feels a lot more tactically yeah. deep than
1: 5 well, or three. i think so well the amount of pairings that you can like the amount of different combinations you can have with 8 different sets is like 14,000 or something like that like the amount of or 12,000 i know it's like a crazy big number what would it be is it 8 the idea yeah. it's you know yeah it's it's 8 uh, eight sets.
2: Are you talking about no, for, one, for one eight. team versus team pairings?
0: Yeah, like how many different possible iterations we have? The 64? <laughs> No, no, it's not just sixty-four.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> this is where that the fingers and toes come out again. Well, while someone in the chat is already beating us to yep. it right now, they're they're physically typing it. In the YouTube comment section copy and they're gonna copy and paste it as soon as the episode comes out I guarantee it
0: well you also have to factor in because we're gonna make it more complicated it's not just person versus person army versus army there's board choice so um, that also factors in a lot more with eight boards instead of five with five boards you basically have one light board three medium boards and a heavy board with eight, you kind of get this weird in between or extra so the Tau army for example as a defender gets to pick its board, so a tower army who's first defending is much more potent than a Tau army saved towards the end when there's only well, heavy that, tables left. Because Tau army first defending gets to pick that table with like a tree on it and shoot with well, the terrain. Well, I was terrain. about to say like, Nick, when I was
3: talking about the terrain before, it, um, it really usually in years gone by the terrain hasn't been the massive like your first defender maybe is the is really important that they get to pick their table. We found when we rocked up and saw the terrain this year, we had to like pre-plan the first two to sometimes three. Because because oh, we're just like, sure. Holy crap. So it
0: was. It actually created this whole dichotomy. So we brought nine yeah, yeah. broadsides, yeah, 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 fully yeah. prepared to be like, "This guy's first defending every round. Every round. He's there's no terrain. Someone's going to have to deal with this." And then we ran into these issues because some teams would be able to counter nine broadsides even without a piece yeah, of terrain that. on the table. Like they're just their list would be weird, and some two things would counter. So they, we couldn't just first defend with him; he would lose anyway. But then we had to look at it and be like, "Do we first defend, take the loss, but pull one of these armies yeah. out of it?" Or do we accept that he's not going to get the open board, probably lose, because nine broadsides don't function when they have to deal with terrain, and then, you know, that just sucks. So it's not just you have a strategy. Your strategy has to be malleable, and you have to come up with those right decisions in the moment. And that's way more exemplified in an eight-man team than a five-man.
2: Do you think six fan teams might be might be fair enough. yeah six
0: might be a good number because again it hits that yeah. even number mark which i was talking about right and it's it's larger than five <laughs> um i definitely think six makes more sense yeah. than seven if i had to choose that, yeah. i haven't tried six so i don't know if it's still enough to reach like an actual decision tree kind of making process as opposed to just like binary decision choices um, and 10's, yeah, 10 it, is just
3: ridiculous do
2: not do it. 10, 20 10 20 is too yeah. many well, what, i definitely would not go teams. past 8 and anyways, uh, yeah, it, it's really interesting, right? Do you, you, team tournaments are going to start pick up, picking up. You see them picking up all over the world now, um, and uh, I, I think that as a, a community, just like we decided, 1850 in 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 seventh um, edition. I think as a community, I think we have to decide. You know, is it five person? Is it six person? Well, it's 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 um, not always realistic
3: for your community. I know, like in Australia, eight people teams is not realistic for an open format. We have the we have our our ATC, which is the same as the ATCs. Each state of Australia sends an eight person team. But if that was an open format where it's just like, hey, one state's going to put on a tournament, bring your eight people teams, you it wouldn't. It's not feasible. there would be like there would be like six teams right. of eight, and there would just be a boring tournament.
0: Yeah. So, um, eight person teams is also more logistically challenging on the actual right. team members because life happens. And like, even on ATC with five man teams and even GTs with top players who usually don't miss GTs, you know, I think, yeah, your mom, God forbid something yeah, happened something, or, something or your wife or whatever, some life happens and someone has to drop because life comes first. And all of a sudden you're not, if it's a singles event, okay, I didn't show up the end. Yeah. If it's a team event. And I find out three days before, and my team yeah. is screwed, and they have to scramble. Yeah, and that's not where you want to put everyone's already so, bought
3: flights. Everyone's already paid for accommodation. That's a lot of money yeah, that yeah, might yeah, not be yeah. a, had a purpose now.
2: Yeah, it's, it, it's yeah. No, interesting, that's it's a super interesting balance there.
0: It's one of the things we may just have to deal with and accept. And do, like, you need to be serious about committing if you're going to commit. But that's something we have to take a step well, as is, you know, all of a sudden becomes like, a factor in picking your team. Or, yeah, reliability for sure. Or you just need subs, yeah, you need yeah. extra players. Remarks. Like uh, uh, Sports do teams, obviously, right? So like a baseball team, a soccer team, whatever. They have – those people also have lives and they just
3: – they yeah, make it those, work. You know, I, I think teams have a bench. You have guys in the, in the wings waiting to take a spot.
0: Yeah, and not even like a professional team. It could be an amateur team. An amateur team still yeah. yep. deals with this stuff.
2: Yeah, I, I think what might help would be um, some sort of uh, like a global team – Program system or ranking system where where you limit so you don't have like Beast Coast where you have like a hundred guys on the team, um, you just grab whatever you whatever guys you want to join, um, you'd have like ten guys and then you can only sign up for a team tournament with those ten guys. So, but then then you're talking about a whole new system yeah. With, with, yeah. Anyways, um, it's just super. I just wanted to get your guys' uh, point on that. Scar, do you have anything else you want to add to that?
1: Not really. I think it, that's pretty much covers the the, the main gist of it. Like personally, I I think I think eight, I think eight. Was I'm not a big talker, (laughs) Mister Mister Nick. Come on, no. um, (laughs) I uh, I think eight eight players is the sweet spot. I think five is the minimum you should go to, and then and then eight is probably is like the best.
0: I once tried running a three man team tournament, atc etc. style at uh, my local store. So we had six teams of three because that's all my store could handle and it was so boring. Like, it was fun because you're playing 40K, but it was it was a team event in the loosest yeah. sense of the term.
2: Hey, that was my only GT win. Was, uh, Brett Perkins and Matt Rui. Ro- oh, so you percent. have been on the top table. Yeah, I have. Sorry, well, Pablo. I got carried by, at the time, two of the best players in the world. But um, anyways, moving on uh, to the end of the podcast. So... Uh, the, that's it um, were there any final comments that you guys wanted to add about ETC or anything before we move on to I, the the ending yeah, segment I've got, uh, I just
3: so there was this perception with Australia that we weren't going to get a lot of support and that we were going to be there's a bit of a tall poppy syndrome in Australia where if people try and achieve too much they kind of get cut down and I just wanted to say Thank you so much to everybody who supported Team Australia. We were absolutely blown away, knocked down. Like At the end of every day of gaming, I'd look at my phone and I'd have eight to 20 people who've messaged me saying, good job, keep it up. And these are international people all over the world just saying, hey, well done. We're so proud of you guys. I just want to say thank you to everybody who supported our team. We love you. And um, you guys are what is amazing about this community. And thank you so much. Well, I hate
2: to burst your bubble, Adam, but it was actually just... Peter and Val (laughs) making different accounts. (laughs) Uh, We're going to
3: pump up up Adam's tires. We're going to keep him going. He needs the mojo. (laughs) Uh, uh,
2: But but joking aside, I I was one of those people rooting for you guys. Uh, I I, I also just wanted everyone to have a good time. But yeah, great great job, Adam. Uh, You guys got a good team going over there.
0: I think I experienced that last year when America won and I was Mm -hmm. on the American team. It felt like, like you would check your phone and there'd be people from all over the world yeah, messaging you. and stuff and just congratulating you and rooting you on. It felt like you were the good guys, <laughs> and I feel like that was Australia this year, so, like, <laughs> Thanks, good job, man. guys. It was idea. awesome.
2: Alright. all right. All right. <clears throat> so, uh, for those of you who are new, at the end of every episode, we open the floor to questions from our patrons. Um, so, if you want to ask questions to the guests, myself, or any of the co-hosts on the podcast, all you have to do is go to patreon.com Give us a donation, patreon.com slash chapter tactics, uh, and then you get to ask questions at the end of every episode. So, the first question is going to be from uh, Mr. Nikhil Sina. Uh, what, unique lists, what unique lists from other countries at the ETC stood out to you or surprised you with their performances? So, uh, open open counsel if you want to a- answer this, but I would like to add, don't talk about a list from any of the three teams that we were on or, or any of the teams you, uh, try to keep it like really unique. Cool.
3: The Salamander yeah, Brigade. You picked, picked him on already.
2: Oh, dude, it's so good. I'm. I, I've been on the Salamander. Brigade. <laughs> I played Brigade against now.
0: it in singles, and I, I played against the guy before. Like I said, like guys, you've not even heard of these players, but they're some of the best in the world. This guy's name is Pelone. I don't know his last name. He's uh, probably the best Spanish player. He's the best one that I've ever played. I would say he's the best player in Spain, but I'm not really well versed in that. Um, played him last year at ETC. Um, he was playing Chaos. I was playing Nari. He was running some weird chaos shit too. He's, he's a weird player. He had like <laughs> Zangors and Rhinos and stuff. Um, and this year, he shows up with a Salamander Brigade, a little bit of Dark Angels, and Castling Crow. And just Yolo, <laughs> why not take Crow? It's Russell, got Crow. a rough. I gotta be throwing Go ahead, man. So I'm playing him, and I'm like, I respect him as a player. I've already I've met him. We're undefeated at this point. We're both sitting on 40 out of 40 battle points in the singles. We're first, second place. Like this is gonna be a real game, despite it being a Salamander Brigade. Um, I'm like kind of pissing myself. Like, like, I, like I, I feel like his army's horrible. I know it's not horrible, which means I know I'm missing something, and that's never where you want to feel against the top player. Um, so he's also very on edge because I'm playing Gene Caesar Cult, and he he thinks Gene Caesar Cult is like really good because it is, and he's like shit. I'm going to lose the Gene Stealer cult because they're tricky. And I'm like, shit, I'm going to lose the Salamanders because I don't know what it does. So it's really awkward. And he just drives up towards me. Like, no cares given. Just drives in the middle of the board. My army's in blips. So I ask him probably 3,600 times. I'm like, so your whole army has moved. Nothing can move again. I know what it does. It's freaking Space Marines. Um, and He's like, yeah, yeah, no, it's here, it's here, it's here. And I'm like, there's no indirect fire. Because there just isn't. And he's like, yeah, 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 no, 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 no. And I'm like... And I can move this blip to right in front of you behind this wall. And you can't do anything about it. And the next turn, my aberrants are going to walk six inches and charge you, fight twice, and table you. And he's like, yeah, it's going to be a quick one. And I'm like, okay. And I very, very, very cautiously, (laughs) wearily move these blips. So the aberrants set themselves up behind this wall and everything. And then he's like, okay, I need a smoke break. So he comes back like five minutes later. It's a very relaxed game. And I buy him a beer. He buys me a beer. It's great times. And he's sitting there thinking for like a solid five minutes. It's still his turn. It's his psychic phase. And he's just thinking. And I'm like, okay. He's trying to figure his way out of this. I don't know if there's a way out of this. I hope there isn't because then I missed it. So he freaking takes Crow, this piece of shit. And he teleports him with Gate. His only Grey Knight teleports him with Gate across the table. And I'm like, what the hell does Crow do? And he's like, he has a lot of attacks. Every time he wounds something, he gets another attack. I'm like, what's the stats? He's like... Strength 4. I'm like, AP, damage, that kind of thing? He's like, no. I'm like, okay, so I'm getting punched by Space Marines. This is not so bad. So he rolls his 9-inch charge. He fails. And I think about Vecting it, because he rolls an 8. He's got like a 6 and a 2. And I'm like, this is stupid. I'm not wasting my Vect on fucking Crow. So he re-rolls the 2 with command point. He makes it. He fights my Averance. Kills like 3 of them, which is a little high, but whatever. I'm like, okay, it's annoying. So I kill him. He fights when he dies. Not with the strat. Does it, with just, does just it, rules. Yeah. He naturally fights when he dies. Yeah. Kills two more aberrants. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? I just lost five aberrants. Okay, at least it's over. Then he's like, I'm One gonna use big, the girl to fight when I die. <laughs> yep. And I'm like, absolutely not. I'm not losing eight aberrants <laughs> off this and do losing the morale. So I vexed his fight when he dies, which I could have just avoided this whole thing if I vected <laughs> that CP reroll. So, okay, I vect it. Great. Crow's dead. Take a morale chest, roll six. Great, it was four more aberrants. I have to re-roll that. I pass it. Okay, and uh, that—that's pretty much end the of story. Then I went on to table him. I
2: just cheers their
0: your callous But <laughs> fucking Castel and Crow made me made me poopy pants for a little bit there.
2: It, this is a weird list. I looked this list up. This is a Grey Knights, Dark Angel Salamander's list. Uh, the brigade is the most minimum random brigade with like two captains on bikes of so the Tech Marine uh, for your tr- HQs. Scouts, um, with missile launchers, and that's it. Six scouts, missile launchers. One guy in each
0: squad had a sniper rifle. Excuse you.
1: Hey, that one sniper
2: rifle. Well, excuse. Rerolls to hit and wound. It's legit. I'm sorry. Excuse me. One the scout sergeant had the sniper rifle. Three attack bikes. Three uh, two units of four servitors. One unit of two company veterans with storm shields, and then three hunters. That was the salamander. Ferocious. Just intimidating. Three <laughs> hunters. The,
0: the the hunters were very clever. Yeah. I was very it's just because the hunters hunt can.
2: You. Yeah, the, the
0: hunters game, are yeah. toughness eight, and they're like the, the cost yeah. of a rhino, and they literally just drive and they stand in front of the characters. and <laughs> like, shit.
2: Uh, and then he's got uh, dark angels, raven wing with Samile and the talent master, uh, of course, because they're the best thing dark angels have. I think, in my opinion, uh, three raven wing attack bikes to. Figure out that outrider attachment and then the um weird adeptus Astardes supreme command detachment with crow, tigarius captain on a bike, and some servitors. No, I think. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think if you have an adeptus Astardes, ta- I don't think you get access to the Grey knight stratagems.
0: He had no. He had no stratagems, but he had you no know, Grey knight stratagems. Oh, but but like the, the space marine stratagems adeptus, affect right? adeptus Astardes and everything is right, adeptus Astartes. including castle and
2: crow. There you go. He's flying so, around the cur- so Crow was just there just to to do weird things? I actually
0: asked him. I asked him, why do you have Crow after the game? Because I was, I was like, obviously he did God's work in this one, but I assume you didn't take Crow to teleport across the field in 9-inch charge aberrants And then he was like, no, but he is an aberrant and acolyte answer. I was like, wait, actually? He's like, yeah, you come in and you... you fight me, whatever, you rapid scout, or who you do what you do. And then Crow walks in there and does what he does without the 9 in charge. He just walks into you. I'm like, that would work. Mm. Yeah.
2: It was very
3: clever. <laughs> he's 80 points, dude. Cheese chips.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I've come home and written quite a few books well, Crow. I, I, I wrote one with
3: it. him and the um, Empress Champion in it, because they're the dual purpose. The Empress Champion goes after the characters, Crow goes after the acolyte bombs. I love the Empress Champion. The it's 75 so points, sneaky. man. He's a boss. Yeah. Well, absolutely. actually, in the new Space Ring
1: Codex, just the regular company champion that has a, uh, has a um, a combat shield that can now be the Shield Eternal mm. as well. So you can actually have a three-up involved Ooh, company. Spicy.
2: All right, uh, I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna. Uh, I think Nick blow it away. So I've got one, one I want to mention, but I don't want to go over time. Sure, um, it's the the sure, foot sure. eldar,
3: the foot mixed eldar army had 30, 30 players, thirty harlequin players, um, a bunch of racks uh, a bunch of cavalite warriors, uh, really wonky. And what team um, was this? The, Russia had this, and I'm I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think Russia Poland had it. or one of the other top teams might have had it as well. But as soon, I, I, we looked at it when we were looking at this, um, and we were like, this thing makes no sense. It's garbage. We got there and looked at the terrain, and we we're like, holy shit, this makes all the sense in the world. It's amazing. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> right on.
0: The, the player who played it on Russia, his name's Alexander something Russian. Um,
3: he is widely renowned as one of the top players phenomenal. in the world. I watched him play against um, Liam Hackett, the God, the Meganon player. And um, they had an absolute amazing game, which was like, I think only won by two or three points by the Harlequin player, but it was, it was really, really good.
2: Yeah. All right. Um, <clears throat> uh, Forrest wants to know, patron Forrest wants to know, uh, going into the new Marine meta, what factions are going to be the biggest winners and losers? Uh, and so I want to open this up to Skari first. Uh, you don't need to list all the factions in comprehensive, just kind of like the biggest winner, the biggest loser in your opinion.
1: Uh, like in terms of because of the space marines yes. appearing in so the meta, so new
2: marine meta. Quote, so, quote.
1: Okay, I'm gonna say disintegrators still win big. Yeah, against new marines, even though all the kind of three wounds now. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> then the shredders will finish off the extra wound. But disintegrators are still like a marine's worst nightmare. Did I agree. Yeah. yeah, a lot of Primaris marines
0: running around. A lot of disintegrators yeah, running was,
1: around. so I think Dark Eldar still have a, a good, like a they're still good against space marines. Um, the biggest loser, I'd want to say, would be like orcs or gene steel cult. Anything that's like a horde-based meta that, because of the infiltrators and the ability of space marines to like just shoot you with a million bolter shots from very far away. I actually
0: think Orcs made out pretty okay. Oh, um, similar reasons to Disintegrators. Shock Attack Gun and 18 Smasher Guns could not care less about Bolter Shots and they
3: pick up Marines like well, no one's business. Say,
0: that said, my Gene
3: Stealer Cult, very I was going to say Demons Go are going to be very sad. Those one-unit Infiltrators just turns off all the Bloodletter and Zangral Bombs and then...
1: Well, actually, that and, and, and Null say, zone, and You new Null 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 zone zone is going to make Demons super so right. sad. going yeah.
2: Right on. All right, um... Uh, ross wants to know is australia six months ahead of the meta and are aussie's secret genius so technically
3: we're about 14 hours ahead of the meta but we're upside down back to front in a different dimension so yeah (laughs) (laughs) and most of and like 80 80 80 percent of our population is drunk as well so yeah you do the math yourself but no we're not so i don't think there is such a thing as ahead or behind of the meta there's just uh, like i said before different frequencies it's all the same, it's all been broadcast on a radio, but you just listen we're listening to different music or some shit. Um, it's very much polarized by the density of population, the amount of top tier players per per capita per, per head, and the terrain emissions you play. And in Australia we have this weird uh, meld of ETC and ITC. So we kind of don't have a solidified meta like you do in, in america where it's, it's polarized by the itc and here is polarized by the etc we kind of sit in this weird hybrid space which constantly means we've got this wonky stuff being evolving
2: right on all right uh chris wants to know uh what are your personal thoughts on six game tournaments uh should they be for larger big name events or should more and more tournaments move to six games
0: I think tournaments should always have one more round than is necessary to determine one true undefeated Mm. player. So if you have 128 people, it should be traditionally a 7-round tournament. I would like that one to be an 8-rounder and just keep that going. Now, of course, logistics and and people's happiness factor in, I guess, but... In a perfect world, yeah, I think you want. So that you one could extra
1: have round. you could lose one game and still yeah. come win it.
0: And it's also like just totally randomly. Like I got paired with Jim Vessel round two because things happen. What a way to have your finals round two potentially? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's not what anyone wants. It just lets you create that average. Yeah.
2: Uh, I, I think I'm personally in agreement with Nick. Um, although, from what I've seen and what I've experienced, the more competitive you are, the more rounds you want. The less competitive you are, the less rounds yeah, you I, want. I've, I think the optimum yeah, uh, round, round
3: per number of things are only going to happen when we get a Pro Tour when we get a professional level events that we can afford to be like, okay, so no, you don't, no one has to go to work on Friday or Monday. We can just have as many rounds as we get. Yeah. Well,
0: we're, we're kind of yeah. getting there that Atlanta tournament with the $5,000 cash prize. I think it's 144 people and it's nine rounds. Yeah. Like you only technically need seven
3: and change yeah. rounds for that one. Well, I do. Yeah. Well, I do, it's I do so like the, the shadow round concept. Um, which is essentially what they had at ETC this year. They had a five, they had a five round event with a trigger for a sixth round if there was no clear winner. I like that idea. And then if you, if needs be, like everyone who's not in contention, just drop and get some popcorn and watch the last, like watch the top tables.
2: Yeah, yeah. All right. <clears throat> and then finally, uh, Elto wants to know which best. What's the best setup for Lord Discord and suggestions? Um, aggressive with the Sos, defensive with Alpha Legion, Red Corsairs.
0: Flawless host, Just flawless throw hosts, attacks at people. Sure. Don't pretend you're going
3: to do. I like the idea of making a list where you've got both, like maybe one super defensive and like one one linebacker. And, sorry, what are the def- what are the guys up the front in the NFL? The defensive yeah, linemen? one defensive lineman and two guys to go punch face in whatever those are called.
1: <laughs> I will say though that if you're going to do um, flawless host make sure you have the mirror as well and give them flamers so they can advance and shoot the freaking mirror is so Mm. good that mirror is ridiculous
2: right on all right that is it that is it for the episode thank you so much guys for coming on if you're listening to this uh check out the iron halo they're an official sponsor of the podcast the iron halo will be held in Bartlesville, oklahoma and it's coming up very soon so check that out and sign it up if you're going to be in the area and you're looking for a great event Also, Rum Runner Wargaming is offering up awesome conversions and custom display board needs. Check them out. And then finally, you can join the Patreon. And if you are interested in either of these fine folks, I'll let them plug themselves real quick one more time. Starting with Adam. Uh,
3: Down Under Pairings, Down Under Network, look look up for Down Under Pairings in your next event, um, we're very, very flexible we can accommodate any game, any game system any scoring rubric that you have, please hit us up um, Down Under Network, we're creating a lot more content now that ATC is over uh, we'll be having our own podcast coming out sooner rather than later, hopefully within the next uh, couple of months, and I'm, I'm sure I'll let Pablo know about that, but please jump on our Patreon if you like what we do, tune into to EastCon uh, this coming weekend, we'll put the times up on our Facebook page give us a like so you can stay in touch over to you Skari Fast.
1: Well, that play was fast. definitely an earful. <laughs> if you all speak kangaroo, you will have gotten that. Um, <laughs> I love you, I love Adam. You scary. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, so, <laughs> I am Scary, your resident Dark Eldar player. Or however, I know more about other armies as well, because I play Black Templars and Talan, and some Sisters of Battle and stuff. So, uh, <laughs> you can check me out, mostly on YouTube, at Scardcast. Come on over, watch some battle reports, learn some
3: stuff, and be a part of the Denizen community. Ah, the dark. I feel like we've just had two examples of how to how not to plug something and how to plug something really well. Good job, Curry. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, uh, the
2: Brown Magic himself. He's left. Who uh, apparently
1: has uh, do dropped. You, do you want me to... So make sure you check him out. Knights of the Game oh, Table. Making... Uh, he does coaching and. Uh... He does coaching and list services and a whole bunch of cool stuff. Um, it's always fun to hang out with people who are like-minded and know a lot more about competitive stuff than I do. Yeah. So if you want to learn more, check them. Check Knights uh, of the Game Table Pro with uh, Nick Nanavati, Brown Magic. Well
2: <laughs> right on. And then finally, check out all the awesome stuff, Val, and Peter are doing at 40k Stats Center, as well as going to Frontline Gaming Gaming Network and checking out Signals from Frontline. You can also go to 40kstats.com where you can read all of Peter's awesome stats and lists, and then uh, ITC, Best Coast Pairings, all the other plugs. Get all that out of the way. As always, my name is Pete Pop, and this has been Chapter Tactics. Thank you guys. You guys are the best listeners in the world, and have a good one. Show us your squid.
1: Bye.